Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This week on The Kindness Project, we talk about herbal teas, cultural icons, and we have part one of our interview with Mark Halls from First Step. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another amazing episode of The Candidates Project. I am joined by a girl who is either Mulder, Scully, or the smoking man. It's Charlotte Dates. And I am joined by a boy, a man, who's just gone rogue. It's Russell Dates. How are we doing, Japs? We're, we're doing good. Um, and we're joined by a man who has sniffed my jar. <laughs> Right, why, why is this jar? It's a jar full of herbal tea. Why have you put herbal tea in a jar? Because it's in a paper bag and the paper bag's starting to get damaged. Oh, okay. So you put and what let's have a look. It looks a bit um it looks a bit bizarre. Like you've put you've done your little, your own little herbal tea label. It's quite it's quite sweet. <laughs> you've got flowers on it, but it does look like you're hiding something other than herbal tea. <laughs> In a herbal tea um, jar, <laughs> um, uh, I can confirm, ladies and gentlemen. I've just sniffed it again. Um, it's definitely herbal tea that I might roll up and smoke just to confirm it's herbal tea. No, it is herbal tea. It's it, too fruity. It's, it you know what? It's fruity and flowery. It's quite nice, actually. Why do flowers on the label? Um, and let me introduce. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm quite enjoying sniffing that jar. Let me let me introduce. The world, a man who's despairing of himself, the Rogue Master General. It's <laughs> Russ. How you doing, Russ? I'm fine, thank you. Good. And and you know, since we've uh, since we've um, like had you as an active member of the podcast recordings, our numbers have gone through the roof. So I've I got know, to get you the That's because I'm quite popular. Yeah, He's the popular one, not us. Do you want to rose this on your own then, Russ? No, no, I'm fine, thank you. That's all right, you're on your own, we'll be quiet. Okay, Go on, Russ, kick right. off. This going to be a silent podcast. We're waiting, Russ. We're waiting, stuff. we're waiting. Yeah, but I've, I've got none of the props like the jar. <laughs> now, I can't sniff you the jar. You can get your own jar. I can't sniff the jar through Zoom, can I? Uh, right, okay, right. Tell me, tell me you've got a jar. Go and get a jar. <laughs> that, that is a vital tool in podcast hosting. A jar, your own a jar. jar. Your own jar. You can put whatever you want in the jar, but you need a jar. I've got a jar. I haven't got a jar. Oh. And that is why we're the hosts. Because hey. we've got a jar. Because you think of everything and I think of nothing. <laughs> well, you clearly... Look, no, it, we just come into this tired and with endless imaginations and it just and, comes out the other side. And cle- clearly, Russ, as you know, we couldn't do this without you because even though uh, you might not be comfortable hosting it on your own, you are the true star of the Kindness Project because you do everything to support us to just turn jar. up and talk about jars. <laughs> I appreciate that. And let's talk about how well we're doing. Jaws. 
Barrel. Um, <laughs> Barry. Barrel and Barry. Let's oh, talk about it. Let's get the Buster Cranham. We're bringing out all the classics. Barry and Barrel, Buster Cranham, a new That's classic, right. an instant classic, <laughs> Smelly <laughs> Jar, <laughs> Smelly <laughs> Jar, Smelly <laughs> Jar, Smelly <laughs> Jar. Um, uh, let's talk about how well we're doing. And why, why are we doing it, listeners? A hundred thousand downloads. Sorry. I just want to say, sorry, go on. A hundred and one thousand downloads. A hundred and one thousand downloads. Thank you to everybody who downloads the Kindness Project. A hundred and one thousand downloads is beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. Can you imagine um, having uh, if you if you email in. Um, Charlotte will send you your own smelly jar as a gift, all right? No, to every way. to every single no. one of no. the hundred thousand no. one hundred and one thousand downloads that we've had. Quick disclaimer, this is not happening. Quick disclaimer, Charlotte will send you a jar. <laughs> no. All right. Quick disclaimer. No. That jar may be full of random stuff. <laughs> and you may be arrested for owning this jar, but the jar is coming along. I still haven't received my tattooed potato that you promised me. What tattooed potato? <laughs> Have I forgotten about it? Sorry, what did we talk about? A couple of weeks ago, you said somebody was getting a potato with something drawn on it. And I said I wouldn't buy one of them. You said you was going to buy me one. Well, how about... Uh, right, Rush, you're down over the weekend, aren't you? We're going to the football, right? We are. How about, before we go to the football... I'm not getting a West Ham tattoo. No, I'll take you to the tattoo shop. With a potato? With a potato, and you can have a potato tattooed on your arm. No, it's all right. And then just a little speech bubble going, I like smelly jars. You could have Mr Potato Head saying, yeah, I like smelly jars. Oh, well, look, as you know, I, I, I've got a thing... I, I'm not keen on tattoos. I'm never going to have a tattoo in my life. But if I were to have decide on a really cool tattoo... It's got a KFC one. It, 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 <laughs> a what? A KFC one. Not a KFC one, definitely not. I've seen those, though. Those are cool. Um, uh, I'd go for a Mr Potato Head. I actually think a Mr Potato Head might make quite a cool tattoo. Don't you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe the... Um, the dog from Toy Story that just goes round and round. Slinky. Slinky. Just round your arm like an yeah. Ouroboros snake. A what? An Ouroboros snake. Did you just make that word up? What was no, that word? Ouroboros. It's a snake that bites its own tail. Say the word again. Ouroboros. Ouroboros. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> thank you for joining. Oh, uh, <laughs> Russ is making weird noises again. <laughs> Um, thank you. Oh, thank you for joining us. And this is the thing, right? So, uh, like, uh, look, Russ, this is what you need to know. Not only as a podcast host do you need as many jar, but you all know also need to do seamless links into the question of the podcast like this. So, Mister Potato Head and that big dog thing. Um, oh, no, there's only one really proper big dog, isn't there? Clifford. Clifford. Clifford, Clifford, what Clifford, an icon, Clifford, Clifford, the big, big red dog, 
best song, best thing tune ever. Puppy Cl- days. Clifford Puppy Days. I may be small, but I'm on the ball. Uh, anyway, uh, Miss Potato Head is a cultural icon. Sorry, uh, can I just say the best thing tune is what's the story in Bellamore? The problem is, Russ. Charlotte's 17 and she grew up with that. You're 14, you know it, with no kids. How's that happen? I'll fire. I've got a couple of nephews that are old enough to remember it. Okay. Is that the reason you know it? No, I just enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) I just like the show. Uh, Who's your favourite? Was it Archie the Inventor? PC Plum, obviously. PC Plum. Would it be rude to say you're a bit of a PC player? I cannot tell you the amount of hours I spent trying to work out what he had done. What who had done? PC Plumber. You know, you know, Nothing. My, you know. Nothing. What do you mean, what he had done? In the song, it says, I'm PC Plumber and I tell you what I've done. He never told me anything. <laughs> yeah. I he like... just scoots around town his bike trying to. Solve people's problems. But... I tell you what I've done. Catch no criminals. That's what he's done. <laughs> he's not. He's not. He's not solved a crime since 1984. Um, uh, I, I liked Archie the Eventer and um, uh, oh, yeah, who was the handyman? I can't remember. I can't remember. Anyway. I did like the yellow one. She was always telling me to exercise. <laughs> oh, uh, Josie. Josie Jump. Anyway. What was that deal, man? She, she, she wanted you to keep fit. That's what she wanted to do. I mean, at least she was effective, unlike that copper who didn't arrest anybody. Christ. Um, PC Plum, I'll tell you what I've done. Just be lazy. That's what I've done. <laughs> Go back to bed. <laughs> anyway, um, again, another cultural icon. You know, something that... I really feel the link here. Um, uh, 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 the link is coming. Something that actually kids of this generation should know about. Now, I think there's loads of stuff like that. I'd like to teach my kids about Mr Potato Head and PC Plum, the most useless policeman (laughs) in the world. And the one that raised this question in my own head was the fact that I was having a chat with Sophie, who's your sister, uh, uh, Rassi's niece, um, and um, Rassi's also the instrument of torture that um, that Sophie likes to inflict on <laughs> Russ every time. I mean, literally every time, every time you're down, Russ. <laughs> literally, she, you sit on the sofa. That's she right. Spends about four days just poking you with a plastic. Is, is that the why I found alternate arrangements? <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're not staying with us this time. I, I do have several videos of this happening, which I will I will send to the family WhatsApp. So. So, um, I said to her, um, I, do you know about the Chuckle Brothers? To me, to you, to me, to yeah, you. Because I assume that everybody knows about the Chuckle Brothers. Sophie didn't know about the Chuckle Brothers. You what? You've clearly failed. I've failed as a father. You're should, the one that taught me about the Chuckle Brothers. I, I should have been doing better education. She didn't have anything. Anyway, I've fixed that. It's remedial. She's on YouTube studying it now. Um, but she's the best. No, no, she's not. I'm going to get her up and get her watching Jack Brothers videos. Um, uh, I'm not, because I'm not a bad dad. Um, 
I'll get her up at five in the morning to, to watch Chapel Brothers videos instead. She won't be up until six tomorrow. Um, I, she's up at five watching Chapel Brothers. <laughs> and if she doesn't, she's saying to me to you all day. Um, uh, but but the question, ladies and gents, is what do you think, what cultural icons do you think should be taught at school? Russ, what do you think, apart from PC Plod or PC Blue or whatever, PC Plum or whatever his name is? Yeah. Do you know what? I see an article yesterday on Facebook. Oh, here we go. About you're not going to start spreading conspiracy theories on the oh, on the channel, right? Eh? I've been all over myself with the magnet after I had the injection. You just never know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, God, what was this article About on Facebook? Tony Hart. Tony Hart, yeah. You know, from heart attack. No. It, Ah, oh, technique program. No, now you're getting confused. Oh, is this, now, this the one that was on CBBC? No, no. no this was. Our attack was <laughs> Neil Buchanan. Tony Hart was. Oh, you've got me now. Anyway, tell me the story. Yeah, so it was his birthday. Right. And they they showed a little clip of sort of him drawing with crayons and it reminded me of watching it when I was younger so oh, it, it's not really a cultural icon but, but it, no you know what you know what Tony Hart I think is a it was vision on that he started with yeah. and then take Hart but not not Art Attack what was Art the Attack. one with the two plasticine men yeah, Mulford. That was Tony Hart. Yeah, but oh, but did you did you know that that was the first when when Mulf and I can't I can't remember the other guy's name, but um, uh, that was the first animation from Ardman Animation that went on to do Wallace and Gromit and and uh, Shaun the Sheep, Shaun the Sheep, and all I of that it. sort of stuff. I and it. and through the eighties. Nick Park. Nick Park didn't join them to later, but through the 80s, they made... Do you remember that? I, I don't know. There was a advert with a skeleton that used to advertise VHS tapes. I said the funny bones advert. Yeah. Animation did that as well. Nice. Did this, you know that? This guy, did he do, like, kids' art shows and stuff? Yeah, like... Like, uh... I can't think of anybody else. Oh, Bill Buchanan used to do it. Yeah, yeah. We won't talk about the other one that used to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know exactly. I, know. I was avoiding that one. <laughs> well, funny, funny enough. Well, did you used to just encourage kids to do art? Like, yeah, well, there, there was a few. Yeah, he was organised Mr. Mayfair or Art Ninja. I don't yeah, know well, those. It was like Bill Peter, but all art rather than... I don't know. Well, I don't I mean, know who those people are, but he was the. You don't know about Mister Maker. No, but Neil oh, Buchanan. Mr. Maker, that's his, that, that was like Blue Peter. Neil Neil Buchanan was the one. Was like the rebel one. He was like the Russell version of Tony Hart. <laughs> if yeah. I'm Tony Hart, Russell is Neil Buchanan. He used to make massive bits of art on art. That's it. Yeah. That? And that that was really good. And then the other guy. Um, who, um, funny enough, um, was a guy called um, Rolf Harris. Now, unfortunately, like he, like 
a couple of 80s TV icons. Uh, Rolf Harris um, uh, uh, was found to be um, not particularly nice to children. So he found himself in a position where he um, he he lost not only his his uh, freedom because he got he got prison he got imprisoned, yeah. um, but also lost all of his um, you know all, money. All, 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 no, all of his like the legacy that he built the through doing those yeah. and the reputation he just completely lost. But the weird thing is, Russ. Um, I, where I was at, as you as you know, I was at the Royal Albert Hall in London on yeah. um, Saturday, seeing the absolute legend that is Gregory, Gregory Porter, Porter. Gregory Porter, yeah. absolute legend. Um, uh, and um, I, <laughs> I'm sat in, I'm sitting next to Cassie and going, uh, and she's never been in the Royal Albert Hall before. We've been a few times, oh, haven't we? Uh, 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 never been in the Royal Albert Hall before, and. Um, uh, I said, I've been loads of times. I can't believe you've never been. And I turn around to him and say, guess who was the first person as a cub when I was eight, I saw in the Royal Albert Hall? Royal Parish. Exactly right. He was singing Two Little Boys and Two Little Toys and did was doing it at this cub jubilee. That did not um, age well. That, um, did, that no, did not age no, well. No, no. Um, and it's... Yeah, uh, I think the part of me, the problem with a lot of these cultural legends is, you know, you build up these expectations of these people and then they just ruin your dreams. So, you know, yeah, it's not it's not great. Right, okay. I'm, I'm desperate to know, though. Did he play as Didgeridoo? <laughs> <laughs> no, please. We're not going there. Anyway, on, <laughs> on, on that note, uh, the question is, what cultural icon should be celebrated and taught to our children at school? You can get in touch with us using the following methods. So on Twitter, we're at Ola Kindness. On Facebook, if you type the kindness project into the search bar, we should come up. The same is applies to Google. And if you type www.thekindnessproject.co.uk directly into the uh, top bar URL bit, should come up. Uh, and then... The email is ola@thekindnessproject.co.uk. I think I've covered everything. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And we look forward to hearing your response. Yeah. <laughs> what was that noise? Um, anyway, we are going to move on and share a couple of bits of amazing news. Um, firstly, I'm going to tell you a little bit about um, a guy who um, donated. Uh, RVs in America, big, you know, um, uh, why would you describe an RV? Like a caravan. Yeah, like a caravan to wildfire victims, and now 95 families have a place to stay. Recreational vehicles. That's what RV stands for. I didn't know that. Yeah, I do. Go on. Okay. <laughs> Recreational vehicles are a great way to tour the country and see the sights. But thanks to the efforts of one dedicated father-daughter team, they've also become a lifeline for people who've lost their homes to California's latest state of devastating wildfires. The brainchild of Woody Fairclough, the non-profit emergencyrv.org, there's folks who are willing to donate their campers to a worthy, worthy cause to those in need. Today, Faircloth, often with his nine-year-old daughter, Luna, along for the ride, 
has delivered 95 motorhomes to California area wildfire victims who otherwise otherwise might wait for months for emergency housing. The organization currently has 100 families on its waiting list. Faircliff, Faircliff first got the idea for the charity in 2018. By many that year, the Colorado-based father was tuned to news coverage of California's deadly campfire that incinerated 153,000 acres and destroyed hundreds of homes during Thanksgiving week. The story of a man who burst pretty much everything but managed to escape the inferno in his mobile home resonated with Fairclough. Inspired by how blessed that man felt just to have a place to spend the holiday, he asked Luna what she thought about finding an RV and delivering it to her family so they could have a place to call home for Christmas. We were watching some of what's going on out there and talking about what if it was us and what would we do. Fairclough told Denver 7 at the time. And I told my daughter what the idea was and she was 100% involved. She said God and Santa Claus would be really proud of us. Fairclough launched a GoFundMe campaign to finance the first RV that he and Luna delivered, dropped off in California. As word of their journey spread, people started reaching out to him via social media, offering to donate their motorhomes, and from there, emergency RV took shape. A father of four who works in the telecom industry, Fairclough says that even though juggling the many facets of his life has its challenges, he plans to expand emergency RVs outreach to include more fire and other natural disaster sites and hopes to beef up response time as well. Over the f- last two months, Fairclough and Luna have made the 40-hour round trip from Denver to California and back on three separate weekends. Many of the mobile home recipients are firefighters and other first responders whose tireless efforts battling the blazes did not prevent their own homes from going up in flames. One such man is George Woolley, who lost his own home to the Dixie Fire on August 4th. We fought the fire until we couldn't fight no more. We couldn't stop it. We did our best, Woolley told the Associated Press. Before I got that IV, I felt like I was a burden on everybody that helped me. I got, slept a lot in tents in my car. It gave me a place to go. While his organisation continues to grow and evolve, the original sentiments by behind Fairclough's humanitarian efforts remain constant. He's grateful for the many blessings he has and blessed to be in a position to help others. Presently collapsed in the back of an old RV beside this little kid with no front teeth who gets me up and moving every day, determined to do something better than yesterday, Fairclough wrote in a 2018 post when Luna was sick. We are so lucky to be exhausted. We are so lucky to be able to go home soon. There are so many thank yous to say that have not been yet said to all of you, so thank you. And we're lucky to have a world with people like Woody and Luna Fairclough in it. I love that story. Absolutely love that story. You know, you know what I like about that story? The fact that their kindness, in my opinion, starts in a place of gratitude. You know, they see that even though they might not be the wealthiest people in the world or or you know the, the guy's got a relatively ordinary job he's still got the time to help and support people and still understands that he's very very lucky to have people who love him mm. a roof over his head you know absolutely love that story what did you think was very nice and like I can see you tearing up as it is, and it's just like, I just want to give you a hug, and I want to give them a hug, and I want to help. Yeah, I love that. I can't imagine, you know, 
Like you build up, you you like you've got your roof over your head, and 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 we don't live in a country where, thankfully, you know, extreme weather's that common. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but you know, knowing that you know, like the, a wildfire could take your house away, it must be absolutely terrifying. But yeah, great story. Thanks for sharing. Let's move on to the interview. And this week, we've got Mark Halls. Mark runs an amazing charity that does brilliant work called First Step. Uh, I am going to... Um, I uh, Russ is looking at me now because we're recording this via Zoom. Are we... Uh, have, have we got Mark? Yeah, we've got Mark. Okay, Mark, Mark is definitely our, our interview guest this week. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Have you, been, have you been sniffing the jar? And you've got confused and you've sent me the wrong one. I have been sniffing the jar and got confused. Right, okay. I have. <laughs> so, so Mark Halls is our uh, interviewee this week. We had an amazing conversation. Oh, I, I, I got myself in a bit of a muddle. No, it is Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Mark and I had an amazing conversation this week um, uh, about the work that he does in his charity, what drives him, what motivates him. Um, we had such an in-depth chat. This is going to be a three-part, so we're going to have this over three weeks. Um, and I don't want to steal Mark's thunder, so um, let's just get on with the interview. Mark, first of all, thank you for joining us on The Kindness Project. I really appreciate your time. How are you doing today? Yeah, really good, really good. Um, uh, it was a, a few months ago <laughs> that I first listened to one of your uh, Kindness Project um, webcasts, and I, I scratched my head and tried to work out what it was all about and, uh, <laughs> and now I find a few months later here I am still You're on. so, so You're I'm, on. I'm, I'm fastening my seatbelt and getting ready to go well you know what was funny so I did I, I, don't, I don't know I don't know if you heard but I did the marathon on Sunday for St Francis right. Hospice yeah and um uh, I went to one of their pasta nights on the Friday before the Sunday where you get prepared and sort of get ready to go and uh Andy who we've a friend of the podcast who we've had on from St Francis was mentioning the podcast uh to the guys in the room and um uh uh the um one of the one of the ladies messaged me this week to say the your podcast got me through the last 10 miles because i was just <laughs> laughing at how ridiculous you and charlotte are um but also i so she was listening to andy's episode so it was because and because she had something in the hospice it was quite pertinent for her to listen to those particular episodes so it was like one of those where you go you know um yes it is a bit strange and and it is um it is quite entertaining for us to do but um if we could do a bit of good if we can get somebody through a little bit of a marathon and share the stories of people doing great stuff in the world um that's what we want to do yeah, but Chris, talking about people doing great things in the world, are you running the, running the marathon next year? So I've got an email today, and the, the ballot... <laughs> well, Cass- we've, we've got a place with your name on it. Ah, oh, mate, well, well look, I, 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 might, I might have to consider it. I mean, I've, I'm going to put in for the ballot yeah, today. Great. Yeah. Um, and um, I'll see how I get on. But um, okay. the challenge isn't actually the day, because the day is amazing. You know, yeah. The day is... You know, running around, you know, the 
I've done, I did Paris in 2017 and um, uh, the difference between the way that Londoners treat the marathon and Parisians treat the marathon is chalk and cheese because Parisians are very sophisticated and clap from a cafe about 100 metres away from the run. Londoners are really active and engaged and and involved um, and love that. The challenge you've got with the marathon is the training because the training takes up so much of your time during the run-up. Yeah. Um, uh, it is um, it is it is interesting, but thank you for the offer. Um, uh, I'll see I'll see how the ballot gets along, and uh, I, I, I might I might take you up on that. Um, um, so um, we're not here to talk about me. Uh, I, I want to hear about you. So tell us a little bit about you. Okay. So personally, um, um, I'm. Uh, of mature years, so you're a youngster <laughs> by compared to me. What do you and, What do you consider mature? Well, I, well, mature. You know, it means overripe, don't you? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm 66. So I'm 44, and I don't know whether mature applies to me yet well, or not. To be honest, yeah. Well, it's all about growing old disgracefully, <laughs> isn't it? And um, so um, I've uh, got a quite a large family. We've got a family of uh, seven children. It's a blended okay. family, which is uh, always interesting. And um, have six grandchildren now, so kept busy with that. And um, for the uh, the past six years, I've worked at First Step. It was my second charity job. Um, <clears throat> I uh, had worked in business and uh, general management and sales roles for most of my career. And as I sort of was appearing, reaching the fern- final furlough, shall we say. Yeah, the next career. step was into yeah, the, the next charity step, sector. Yeah. Well, yeah. I went to first step, yeah, but that's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I was... Um, I first went to a school as a business manager because I thought that would be a bit like a not-for-profit. Yeah. Um, and that was an interesting time. And um, and then I moved to... I had to step down to a, a middle management role in charity mm. in order to step back up as a CEO role. And I've been at first step now for six years my wife says that it's i've got a nerve to call it a job because most people would pay to do what i do well i mean far from wrong i mean that that phrase you know the um you know uh working forever like doing something you love you know you know a job is a job only if it feels like work you know and if you're doing something that doesn't feel like work you can sort of uh carry on probably a bit longer than you um than than you would if if you hated it um tell me a bit about the blended family how how old are the kids what's the range of the kids well our kids range from um you said thinking carefully 27 up to uh 39 Okay. Uh, so they're all offhand, and um, uh, my wife Sharon, um, uh, uh, we uh, we haven't got any of the children together. We sort of collected them along the way. Yeah. And, um, and it's great. We're a bit like the League of Nations um, in terms of covering all religions, races, and uh, yeah. um, well, I'm not sure about orientations yet, but um, it's a it's a truly blended family, and they get on well, and um, it certainly keeps us on our toes. Keep so Christmas in your house is going to be busy right yeah well we made a decision a couple of years ago um that um you may say this is a bit pessimistic chris but i said to sharon when we we just turned um 60 60 60 then it was and i said look if we're lucky we've got 15 years of being able to do pretty well much of what we want to do and then it's lack of the gods 
And so for the last six years, we've been trotting across the country over the Christmas weekend to spend time with everybody. Oh, amazing. And, uh, so that's really good. So it's um, Christmas Eve with one family, Christmas morning with another, back for Christmas lunch with somebody uh, with another section of the family, Perfect. and then Boxing Day with another. So we've oh, that sounds really good. Yeah. Geographically, how spread out are they? Um, as it, well, it, it keeps altering because whether they're at university or where they're working, but um, yeah. we've got a couple that live close to us, mm. and then we've got um, uh, one daughter that lives up in um, Northamptonshire, Corby, and then another one that lives in Thaxted, um, yeah. another daughter that lives around near... So a lot of time the, in the car over the Christmas exactly, period, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think while you can do it, you want to do it. Yeah, agreed. I mean, and one of the... What, one of the big things for us, particularly during the sort of pandemic and particularly last year, Gaz's mum and dad, I mean, I, I lost my mum a couple of years ago um, and my dad's relatively local, but Cassie's mum and dad live in our brooks on the coast of Scotland. Wow. Okay. And and you, you realise how important family is when you can't get to yeah. see them for 15, yeah. 16 months, don't you? So yeah. we've had a trip up, they've had a trip down this year um, and we are... As you say, I think you get conscious that you need to make a particular effort as people get older, um, yeah. and and yeah, we've we've talked about that quite a lot. Um, and and tell me, just I mean, we'll talk, certainly talk about footstep. Tell me how your experiences in business help you now. You know, you've you you've had a varied career. Mm. You're in a position where you're now in the in the third sector, Jarrett sector. How, how do you reckon your work in you know corporate and commercial organisations has helped you? Yeah, really interesting question. I think that um, I think I've always worked in small and medium sized companies. And I think working in a small and medium-sized company is excellent preparation for working in the third sector in a charity because you have to be able to do everything. And um, so I think that would be point number one. And I think that when you're working in a – and as I say, I've not been – uh, many, I, I mean, I've had a couple of stints running my own organisation, but while I've been an employ- employee, um, I've been general manager, so I've not had the power of yeah. being able to direct staff completely. And I think what it helped me to do was to really focus and understand that um, people's motivation comes from inside. Yeah. And if I can, as a good manager, if I can actually understand the seat of what their drive and motivation is, and I can craft a job that works around that, yeah. then you've got a really successful arrangement and, and people start to enjoy what they're doing. Uh, it's, re- it's really interesting. I think you're right. You know, that, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation is something we talk you know in in my day job as a financial planner we talk to our clients a lot about because you know that you know and weirdly extrinsic motivation is you know what people assume that money can buy you know stuff but actually people don't get up in the morning for that they get up in the morning for purpose and relevance and all of the stuff that drives them intrinsically um the weird thing is, even though I'm the sort of director of a business, Mark, as I said to you before the call, I think Russ is my bottle smokes days because he just like points me in the direction of what I need to do, along with a few other members of my management like team. I'll call them because uh, you know they, they tell me where to pop up. That's right, Russ, isn't it? Are you going to pop up on an interview or not? He's going to stay quiet, Mark. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I, I, 
is very true, isn't it? Because, um, and I think the other thing that the small business does for you, it makes you incredibly flexible because yeah. you have to roll with the blows and you have to grab opportunities where they're there and you have to solve the crises yourself because yeah. there's no other person to actually do that. <laughs> but you know you know what? I mean, it's really interesting. I was speaking to somebody yesterday um, uh, about politics and it's somebody involved in politics um, and... And they said to me, um, uh, uh, I, I, they, they were a little bit frustrated and they said the challenge you've got with politics is trying to get stuff done is trying to wade through treacle because actually every time you want to get stuff done, you're in a position where you find yourself uh, things being lost in the mix because you've got to ask 12 committees to get stuff yeah. done and then it just takes it and then you've got a hundred different motivations, uh, even though your uh, thing might be positive, and then that starts to make you a little bit more cynical. I like, I, I get that sort of in our little spheres of influence, we might have less control, and I can't make political change, but I do get up every day being able to make decisions and get stuff done, and that to me is feels more suit to my personality than potentially, you know, sort of get really frustrated at yeah. not being, wanting to do something positive and, and and not being able to get it done. So I suppose it depends on your personality a bit, because I know that some people, business ownership is their idea of hell. You know, yeah, all the absolutely. responsibility, all the autonomy, all the choice. Um, but for me, I think, I think 11 years into running a business now, um, I've, I've passed the point of unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, I, I did, I've got to take issue with on something you said, and I know I'm not supposed to do that as a person being an interview. No, please do. But, but you said you, we can't change the world. We can. You're actually doing it right now. We change the world one person at a time, and the Kindness Project mm-hmm. is actually focusing on uh, encouraging people to think a little bit outside of their immediate bubble. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and I think you're right. We can't achieve wholesale change, but I think the great thing in our little spheres of influence is we can make a huge difference well, to the people yeah. that we engage with. That that's an absolutely fair comment. And when I, when I said that you can't change the world, I, I, you can't change yeah. countrywide policy, but you can. I, I'm a fan of Stoic philosophy, and, and one of the things about Stoicism is they say, just focus on what you can control. Yeah. You know, contr- yeah. focus on what you can control and influence, and don't worry about the rest. Um, and then you're in a position where, and as you say, if you the idea of this podcast is how can we showcase the fact that there are amazing stories of incredible people all over the country doing yeah. brilliant stuff um, that we just don't get to hear about, see about. Yeah. So, yeah. So tell us about the amazing stuff you do at First Step. <laughs> okay. Well, First Step is a charity that works with um, families of children with special needs and disabilities, 0 to 5. And um, we've been doing that for just coming up to 33 years now. I've got to get used to that in October. That's it. It's 33 years. And um, we we work with um, with families um, right at the start of their journey. So when people typically come into us, they are they're often quite in crisis. 
Um, they have um, nobody starts off um, uh, the, the steps towards having a family, believing or thinking that they might hit a child with um, special needs or disabilities. And um, either as the child is born or in run up to it, they actually become aware um, that perhaps things aren't as they expected. And um, the, the sad thing is, Chris, is that for those people, they often feel very abandoned by the world at large. They feel isolated and, and, and just really don't know which way to turn. So we can we occasionally have families that come in to see us during pregnancy when they've heard that they're carrying a child with a special need. And they come in to talk to other parents and to meet children who may have similar conditions to the baby that they're carrying. Um, and then we have another tranche of people that come in to us at about four months. So typically, um, those children are, are people that have got their children got physical or medical difficulties. So they may have had a uh, uh, a problem during the gestation where they've been oxygen starved, or there's oxygen salvation that occurs at on birth, um, perhaps giving rise to something like cerebral palsy. Um, they may have Down syndrome that's either not been picked up or the parents decided to proceed through, and quite often they have a pretty traumatic uh, first four months of life because yeah. it's in that four months where it's really decided whether or not um, they will survive or not. So quite often they go into the neonatal unit locally into Queens and then they bounce out to somebody like um, Homerton or St George's if it's a higher tier of need and then it could be right up to Great Ormond Street. So, quick question. One thing I didn't realise you guys did was <clears throat> support parents to just get their head around and speak to other parents like uh, like them so that they can cope better effectively. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, an experience of how that's worked well. Yeah, um, I, I think I'm, I'm sort of uh, looking up to the sky and thinking of the the, the, the best example to pull together, and the, and it's every every case is different. Yeah. Um, but it, it is said that there is a there's a stage set there's a set of stages of grief that a family that have a child with special needs or disabilities go through. Right. And the, 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 the order with which they feel things is quite different, but there is there are, there are huge differences. I'm, I'm thinking as I talk with this about um, a particular family and, um, and, and they came in. I can remember, I remember it clearly. Um, they had, they'd been with us in our family sessions. They'd come into our, as we were running them, our preschool groups. And this is the point when the child is a little over two, that for the first time they're leaving mum and they're coming into the session by themselves. Okay. Which is, is actually is more traumatic for the parent than it is for the child. All right. Um, and uh, this little lad came into us and he was, he had what we call social communication difficulties. We expected that he would be receive a formal diagnosis of autistic in time. Uh, and he came in and um 
um, and uh, the the mum was down in the parents' room, and Debbie, who's a my early years leader, spends those first few weeks when that's happening running up and down with an iPad, and and giving them updates on what their children are doing. And so um, um, Debbie went down and said to to mum, "Oh yeah, he's very happy. He's playing in the sun, sand." Mum said, "No, you got the wrong child." Right. And so Debbie said, hmm, okay, why do you say that? Well, he won't play with sand. We've never been able to go to the beach. Right. Um, he screams, goes into a meltdown. Now, Debbie knew immediately that she hadn't got the wrong child, and that was mm. because we had five white children in on that day and one black child. Okay. And there was no chance of any mistakes. <laughs> she whizzed back yeah, it's down. probably quite difficult yeah. to get that confused. She whizzed right? back down, took a picture on the iPad of this, this young lad, um, yeah. Played in the stand, took it down to mum, and mum just burst into tears. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't actually understand what potentially the the impact is to people. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we have a little bit of personal experience. Um, my wife's eldest son um, was diagnosed with Asperger's, OCD, and ADD. Yeah. Um, second year in university doing mechanical engineering. Gotcha. And, and at that point, and um, uh, um, he, he, he for a time was under suicide watch and all sorts of things that flew out from that. He had achieved all the way through school. He got yeah. 11 uh, A-stars as they were in those days. But, right. then, but then part, part of that is us appreciating and, and, and being more sort of understanding that actually difference doesn't mean worse you know different difference is actually can we utilize the skills and adapt our society to support people like that right yeah you're absolutely right and um and i love the positive slant you take on there what I would say, though, is for many of these families, and um, I'm, we're writing a, uh, a fundraising bid at the moment, and we talk in there about that people arrive at First Step and they're looking for the pill, the therapy, yeah, yeah. or the surgery that will be going to fix. Yeah, yeah. And, and sadly, in many cases, we can't. And, I mean, there's not time for me to read it to you now. I'd love to at some point must give it to you. Um, but there's a great poem that was written called Welcome to Holland, and it talks about um, a, a family who have planned to go to Italy. Right. And they've, they've done their research, they've got their maps, they're going on the gondolas, all those things. Pisa is they're definitely going there. And they're on the plane and they're just starting, would you please fasten your seatbelts because we're about to land in Holland. Right. And they say, Holland? We, we, we've not signed up Holland, we're going to Italy. And it talks about the change that they have to go through um, very rapidly. And I think that's often the situation for parents. Yeah, yeah. There's no planning for it. And even if you've planned for it, it's still either harder or more difficult than you expect. Realise. Yeah. And what we've actually used in this fundraising bid that we're writing, we've talked about the first step, is that we're the customer care department in the arrivals lounge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what we're doing is, is starting to pick people up. And the one thing you can't do is you can't say to a parent, it's not as bad as you think it is. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, yeah you know? it is hard. And, yeah. and, and um, we, what we do is, is, is first step, 
starts the process of walking the journey with that family. We don't approach it as being the experts. We have some expertise, but the trouble is, and I mean, you've got a couple of kids, I've got a few more, you know that you might have two children, but if you got a rule book or instruction book with the first one, it wouldn't work on the second one. Well, first of all, nobody gives you a rule book. Yeah, you know, that's think, right. Yeah. Think, and then number two, um, I, I, I mean, I mean, one of the biggest learns for me during lockdown was that I am definitely the worst homeschooling dad in the world. Um, <laughs> um, but, but certainly, you you try your best, you try yeah. your hardest, you think you're doing the right thing, um, uh, but there, it, it's you know, it's one of those jobs that there's no perfect, is there? You know, you no, just do your best. Yeah, there certainly yeah. isn't. And and we we work, our founding principle that, that came through with our founders, Jill Hare and Margaret Williams back 30 years ago, was that nobody knows the child better than the parent. Yeah, yeah. So that was part one of Mark's interview. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, uh, please tune in next week uh, for more of Mark's interview. And... Uh, so he can continue to share his story. And on that note, what is it, Charlotte? Here's the end of another podcast. But the, the end, end is never truly the end. But the end is always the beginning of something entirely new. It is. And last week's question of the podcast was um, dance music related. It was garage music related. Is that a good drum beat for garage? I don't know. Do you really like it? Is it? It's going to die job. Oh, I will. Uh, uh, we, we will have our time. So, so well, it's not one professional beatboxer is not mine. So, let me share with you what garage tracks. Last week's question was what garage tracks should you be putting on your Spotify playlist? Other um, uh, streaming services are available. Put it on your Apple Music playlist. Buy a tape deck. Buy a, buy a tape, buy a vinyl, do whatever, but listen to these songs. Andy Furneau, um, friend of the show, um, and DJ, so he should know what he's talking about, has just said Woman Trouble. I don't know if that's a song or what he's going through at the minute. <laughs> John Cook John Cook said, do you really like it? DJ Piper, amazing garage track. Ian McQuaid said, uh, a little bit of luck by DJ Luck and MC Neat. Um, Charlie Goodman said uh, 187 Lockdown by Gunman. I've never heard of that, but yeah. I like that. Um, Chris Bard, friend of the show and previous guest, said, um, I thought Gary would refer to bands from San Francisco in the 60s. No, Chris, it doesn't. <laughs> Mike, Barrett, Mike Barrett said Double Nine Nine by Rick Groove. Um, Dunkirk said uh, Sneaker Pit, Pimps, Spin Spin Sugar, absolute track. Um, Steve Dan said, I love Waterfall by Atlantic Ocean. Um, Francis Barrett said, Imagine by Shadow Hammer. Alana Thompson said, Fly By by Sparks and Key. Always a great one for karaoke as well. Um, Lisa King, I love this one. Show Me Love, Robin S. Amazing tune. Um, uh, Patrick Foy doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to garage music because he does have got a bad garage to play it in. All right, all right Patrick. Um, Ross Errett. I appreciate the joke. Ross Errett said, The Bella Morgan yesterday. Uh, Jade, Jade Foster Jarrett said, uh, Sneaker Pimps. Larry Knight said, uh, Keep garage furthest in the furthest garage away from me. <laughs> Keep it country. 
Um, Sam Chilton said, spin, spin, sugar. Another lot of votes for that. Uh, Tommy Amos, Professional Widow Remix. Um, uh, Sharon Adkins said, anything by Artful Dodger. Samantha Strong says, flowers. You bring me flowers. Yeah, that one. Sweet female attitude. Um, Caroline Thompson said, Gabriel Roy Davis Jr. So did Rachel Meek. And uh, Nicola Taylor said, Lenyo, Summer of Love. So if you're um, looking for an amazing garage track this weekend to come and put your, I don't know, what do you do now? Put your dancing shoes on or like sort of... No, you just vibe, man. Just sniff a jar of herbal tea and do whatever you want to do. You just vibe, man. Um, or you want to go rogue, like Russ, and pick a different garage track, there's a few on the list. If you want to go rogue, I recommend plastic rock, but okay. Fair enough. Have a lovely week. And we'll see you next time on the Kindness Project. Bye. Bye.